Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about equity, inclusion and diversity in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. And before we get started today, I just want to take a moment to thank our friends at City AM for their continued support of Diversity Podcast with a dedicated page on their website, publishing and promoting both our episodes and our supporting blog series so their readers can stay on the very top of what's latest in the diversity and inclusion debate. Now, you may want to check out their own podcast called The City View for all the latest news and opinion from the city, because we at Diversity Podcast are huge fans. Now, today we journey to Israel and I'm delighted to be joined by two guests, Jeremy Seif and Nava Sversky Sofer. Let me just tell you a bit about each of our guests. In his day job, Jeremy Seif is a partner at Epstein Rosenblum Maus, which is a law firm based in Tel Aviv, Israel, where he advises on a range of corporate and finance matters. His clients include major international investors and corporates, think IKEA, Lime, the Indian Oil Corporation, as well as large international banks, including BNP Paribas, Lloyds, Natixis and Deutsche Bank. In his gay job, as he describes it, Jeremy is a director of the non-profit organization LGB Tech, which promotes DNI for the LGBT plus community in the Israeli workforce. And he also serves as an advisory board member for the World History Encyclopedia. Jeremy, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. And joining Jeremy, it's a pleasure to welcome Nava Sversky Sofer. Nava is a board member, CEO, consultant on innovation, entrepreneurship, venture capital and technology transfer. She is a long-standing advocate of gender equity and is the chair of Directors Leading Change, a forum comprising the top 250 female board members in Israel, all working to achieve gender equity on boards and in top management positions. She's also a mentor to leading innovation accelerators in Israel, as well as the Nanjing Microsoft Incubator in China and Spark, the first accelerator in Thailand. And returning to the subject of venture capital, it's worth noting that 20 years ago, Nava founded the world's first female-only VC firm. So Nava, it's great to have your company today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Julia. It's a pleasure. So I always start the show because I'm just naturally intrigued. I mean, your biography is probably only a fraction of what you're doing these days. I'm really keen to get into what are you focused on right now? Jeremy, can I come to you first? Sure. So as you helpfully mentioned, I categorize my work as day job and gay job. So in my day job as a lawyer acting for corporates, I naturally am seeing a lot more ESG topics coming to the fore. And I think it's you know, going to be very relevant to this discussion to think about how companies and how my clients and also me as a lawyer can influence the ESG discussion. So that's kind of one side on the day job. On the gay job, I think with LGB tech, which has been around now for about 10 years, just over 10 years, you know, we have seen quite a lot of improvements in Israel on DNI for the LGBT plus community, but there's still a very long way to go. So I think our focus is really working with stakeholders, be they governmental and specifically with the corporate world in trying to get them to engage on the issue of diversity and inclusion, specifically for the LGBT plus community and really moving towards our programs, which I'm sure we'll be talking about in the course of today. 
We certainly will. There's a lot in that we're going to unpick for sure as we go through the discussion. Nava, can I ask you the same question? What are you particularly focused on right now? I spend most of my time now on three different things. One is uh, I sit on a number of boards, publicly traded companies, mostly in Israel, and a number of international organizations of companies in Europe and Canada at the moment. The second thing I do is I both teach innovation and entrepreneurship. I head the entrepreneurship track at Israel's leading school of music, uh, which is a bit of a departure from where I started out. And I mentor, as mentioned, a number of incubators and accelerators at universities and other places here in Israel and again abroad. And the third thing I do is spend a fair amount of time on nonprofit work. Most of that goes to directors leading change, which I assume we'll talk a little more about. I also sit on the uh, boards of governors of a number of colleges, uh, boards of directors of college and youth village. And I try and bring the gender lens into everything I do. But mostly, I think by being there, you begin to make a difference. Absolutely. And what I love about that, as I was listening to you talk, was if you think about the entire pipeline through young talents coming through academia, learning to become business leaders and entrepreneurs, and then also that journey to become large corporates. So it's about growth and scale and success. It's wonderful to know that you've got a seat at every table along the way, which is which is wonderful. Well, there's so much I'm really keen to get into. But the first thing I have to do, and I'm so proud because we work with organizations in Israel as well, is I just want to talk about the tech scene in Israel, if we may. I wonder if we could just set the scene a little. I mean, it's very vibrant. We've talked about your role, Nava, in entrepreneurship and, and innovation and also just digital transformation as well. Perhaps you could just set the scene. Israel has one of the most vibrant tech scenes in the world. It's become known as the startup nation. It's partly why everyone comes here to see how we do what we do. And it's been growing by leaps and bounds. In the last year, 2021, we saw over $25 billion in exits, unprecedented numbers, huge IPOs, mostly on NASDAQ and um, you know, stock exchange. And we have, at any given point in time, roughly 6,000 startups. And I say at any given point in time because we typically have six to 700 new ones per year and then a more or less equal number of companies that don't succeed. But what has been happening here in recent years is we've seen more and more companies scaling up. You mentioned that yourself, and that's a very important point. We're slowly moving from being an ecosystem that provides lots of good starts to an ecosystem that can also grow significant players. You are looking at dozens of unicorns here in Israel, companies, privately held companies, valued at over a billion dollars, as the definition goes. Fewer now because a lot of them have gone public in the past year, but new ones coming in all the time. So... It's the mark of a system that's both growing up and becoming more established in what it does. I'll mention also that we have the highest amount of venture capital per capita in the world and the second highest in absolute dollar terms. So there is money to fuel all this growth. And the reason the money comes here is because the money makes money. You know, venture capitalists at the end of the day want to do good deals and they go where the good deals are. That's why you're seeing so many of the big international funds establishing activities here in Israel. The second thing to mention that I think is also of interest is that our ecosystem is quite varied. 
So we have a lot in the areas that you might naturally think of, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, uh, and so on. But we also have a vibrant health tech scene. We have a biotech scene. We have a growing, very strong food tech scene, artificial meat, artificial milk, and really very exciting. Some of the biggest companies in the world are coming out of Israel. So it's very well, I wonder, Jeremy, you know, I mean, your work with LGB Tech must give you the privilege of seeing all sorts of great innovators coming through and talents coming through as well. I'd like to hear your thoughts about where, you know, the emergence of tech areas just building on Nava's remarks there. Sure. Well, first of all, I think Nava gave a really good overview. So you know, that's a helpful base. I'll also just say that, you know, LGB Tech, despite the name, and it will probably go through a rebrand, we do actually also work more and more these days with non-tech companies as well, because obviously they're part of the tech ecosystem. But, you know, from that and also from my work, you know, as a lawyer where I act for investors and, and for startup companies, I do see the full range. And I think maybe two things that I would add to what Nava said is one, to maybe focus on sort of Israel's status as a melting pot both in terms of how Israel was founded. And even today, there's a very large proportion of immigrants in Israel. We're a pretty tiny country. Our entire population is only about 9 million. So when you put that into the context of the numbers that Nava was discussing, you know, over 70 unicorns, $25 billion of investment that I think Nava also mentioned just in the last year, VC investment during 2021, you know, that really is staggering. So I think that's kind of one thing to mention is the melting pot environment. And I think to me, that's a really good anecdote or example of why diversity is helpful, because actually through that diversity, through that melting pot, you get diversity of thought, you get diversity of experience. And all of that obviously contributes to the dynamic nature of the ecosystem. The second thing I guess I wanted to mention is just to think about, you know, the great resignation that everyone's been talking about over the last couple of years and the changes we've seen have really put a highlight on technology. And I think another way to look at that, the other side of that you know, coin is to think of it as the great acceleration. So Navas spoke about the move from startup nation to growth nation or to scale up nation, as people are starting to call it. I think the acceleration to digital and digitalization to the tech economy is creating a lot of flux in the labor market all over the world, but also in Israel. And I think that's a really important point in time when we can really influence the diversity and inclusion discussion for the good and the bad. There's obviously bad things happening on that front, but also a lot of good. That's enormously helpful because, as I was saying in my sort of earlier remarks, the talent pool really matters. We talk a lot on the podcast about how actually successful innovation is all very much predicated on the need for diversity because if you're trying to build technology, you've got to have diverse experiences and talent around it in order to help build technology, but also have the framework that means that when you have differing opinions, you're also testing it more rigorously than ever before without risk of bias, etc. So actually, I, I wonder if I could just pick up on a remark you were making earlier, Jeremy, about environmental, social and governance, the ESG element. This is very dominant in people's minds, you know, whether you're a venture capitalist or whether you're a private investor or indeed actually any citizen on the planet at the moment is tending to use the ESG moniker around climate change and innovation as well. I would love to get your thoughts on, given these different stakeholders that we've talked about how they are influencing the ESG discussion and therefore what role does DNI play within that discussion? Uh, sure. Well, I mean, obviously, that's a huge question. The ESG topic is itself you know, a mammoth topic. And I guess we'll focus mostly on the S, on the social, because 
DNI generally comes within that category, although obviously it also touches on governance. I would probably break it down. You know, the three main categories of stakeholders are government or sort of semi-governmental organizations, individuals, and then businesses. So I think if we look at sort of governmental around the world and specifically in Israel, you know, there's a lot of good and a lot of bad that can be driven by government focus. You when know, we look at certain totalitarian regimes or certain conservative regimes where diversity is not well accepted, is not focused on, we could say. But by contrast, in jurisdictions or in countries where you really see a focus on diversity, governmental change, whether it's through laws or through regulations, can be a huge driver. So, you know, I'm sure Nabil will be able to input on this as well. But looking at regulations around sort of boardroom diversity, especially around female representation on boardrooms, now a lot of that does come also from regulators or from sort of semi-governmental organizations. In Israel, we're starting to see some of that, um, I think specifically in other diversity categories. Unfortunately, on the LGBT plus side, it's much further behind. In early February of 2022, you know, we saw a new initiative being declared in Israel that basically had every sort of category of diversity you could expect and specifically did not mention LGBT plus. So, you know, there's a lot of work to be done there. And as an example of where we see that coming in is in 2018, there were promises by the government here to expand surrogacy rights to gay men, be they couples or or single men. And they didn't follow through on that promise. That led to huge protests, which LGB Tech was very involved in organizing, involving companies for the first time at that scale in that discussion. So that's kind of the government side of things. The individual side of things, I won't focus on too much, but obviously people can drive change, whether it's through protesting, whether it's through educating people around them, you know, raising issues in their workplaces and ultimately talking with their money and their feet by going to workplaces or going to businesses that do support a diverse agenda. And then I guess the main focus, at least for what LGB tech does and what, you know, what I focus on is the business side. I'm a real believer that businesses can drive change probably the, the quickest out of all stakeholders. Businesses ultimately employ personnel, they contract with counterparties where they can set their contractual requirements. They are a place where people spend such a vast majority of their time. You you really see the difference between businesses that engage on this issue, that create a social environment that is welcoming and diverse and inclusive compared to those that don't. And I think at the end of the day, the bottom line really reflects that, which when you're a business, the bottom line is, is key. And I wonder whether we could also bring in the perspective of the role of advisors. There you've talked about many different stakeholders in the ecosystem, you know, whether that's government, corporate and individual. I'd love to think about the role of advisors and Nava, who better to turn to on this subject, really? I agree with everything Jeremy has said. And I'd add to that, that in Israel in particular, the whole topic of ESG, which was late to arrive on the scene, has suddenly exploded. And that's maybe just started happening over the past less than a year. There have been activities and there have been actions, and, but suddenly ESG everywhere. Conferences, mentioned now the, the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange is now looking to enforce some sort of ESG regulation. They have put out a call for proposals for people to comment on. We'll see where that goes. As we speak now, it's mid-February. Yesterday, the uh, Israel Securities Authority launched an initiative to include more women, but specifically gender diversity, on boards. Now, they had over 200 people participate in the opening meeting yesterday, including the 
chairpeople of all the large corporations, the large banks, the big financial institutions, institutional investors. And while I think the goals that they have set are little limited, I'm happy to see the big institutions and the regulators join the discussion because maybe a year or two ago when I sat with them, they were not even really willing to join the discussion. So that is really a wind of change. And, you know, going to the point that you mentioned earlier, Jeremy, diversity and why that is, I agree with that. One of the reasons for the great success of the Israeli tech system, the uh, guest speaker at yesterday's event that I mentioned was Anne Cairns, whom I'm sure you know, vice chair of MasterCard International and chair of the 30 Cent Club. And she joined the discussion yesterday, and she started out with a simple and excellent remark, saying it makes no sense to recruit from half the talent pool. And that, to me, is in one sentence, summarizes the essence of what you need to do. Now, we know all the research, and I'm happy to discuss some of it here. We know that diverse boards lead to better business results. Simply put, you make more money. And that's what businesses want to do is they want to make more money. All of that makes sense. But at the end of the day, it somehow has to rise to public attention. And I think we have arrived at that point here in Israel. The LGBT plus community has been very active. And the protests that Jeremy mentioned a few years back were remarkable because the entire tech industry took part the big companies, the big employers. We had a small example of that when it came to women. At the end of the last summer, it was actually not around diversity. It was around gender-based violence. But it was the first time that the very, very big players in the Israeli market and the, uh, the business sector took part in some form of a protest. So I'm hopeful that we'll see change in our lifetime. And it's so important, isn't it? It's wonderful to hear how that has taken some prominence. But as you say, I think, Jeremy, you made the mark earlier, we've got a way to go. But the role of the corporates, of course, has a huge impact in terms of awareness, but also actually driving change as well. Well, I think that's a great moment, if we may, to bring in Cynthia Akinsanya, who has some research to support today's discussion. The 2022 Calculist article highlights that the number of employees in the tech industry in Israel leapt during the pandemic, but led to a decline in the number of female employees in the industry. The decline from 36.3% down to 33.6% is the lowest percentage of women in the sector over the past decade. According to figures from the monthly bulletin issued by the Israel Central Bureau of Statistics, since 2012, that number hasn't dropped below 34%. While the number of male employees in the tech industry has risen over the past two years by 41,500, the number of female employees has only grown by 6,200. This translates to a sevenfold increase in male employees over their female counterparts. Many thanks, Cynthia, for the research to support today's discussion. And of course, you can find all of that on our website. I should also point out that we had the wonderful Anne Cairns on the show. So we'll point you to the episode in that you can find it on the website 
And this is where you can find a lot of rich material. So it's diversecitypodcast.com. That's diversity with a C, not with an S, diversecitypodcast.com. You can find all our episodes and sign up for early notifications of future recordings. Do also sign up for our newsletter. It's called D-E-and-I, that's Caught Our Eye. And that is where we share news stories and updates so you can stay on top of what's current. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And Diversity Podcast is available on Bright Talk and all good podcast channels. And we'd love a rating because it does all help to promote the show. Let's just return to a couple of the conversations we were having before the break, actually. And Jeremy, I'd love to come to you first of all. If we could please just talk about the work of LGBT. Talk to us about some of the things you're focused on. And I gather there's something called the Merrimott Programme, which caught my eye. Tell us more. Sure, with pleasure. So LGBT Tech is a non-profit organisation. We've been around for about 11 years now, formerly as a non-profit registered organisation for two years now. Completely volunteer run until last year when we hired our first CEO, Sivan, who is excellent. And basically we focus on improving the position of diversity and inclusion for the LGBT plus community in the Israeli workforce. So we do that in three principal ways. The first way is that we work with the community itself. So we run community events. We often have very high profile speakers from around the world. We've had the Prime Minister of Luxembourg. We've had Lord John Brown, Dr. Vivian Ming, who's a well-known neuroscientist from California, Sir Ronald Cohen and the like. And so that's one element of it where we work with our community and help engage them on topics of diversity and inclusion. The second limb of what we do is really sort of more policy driven. So we'll work with other community organizations, or other LGBT plus organizations in Israel and around the world or governmental and semi-governmental organizations to try and drive the, the policy discussion. So one example of how we do that is we publish lists of LGBT plus senior people um, in Israel. You know, there aren't that many. There are no known, as far as I'm aware anyway, LGBT plus board members on biggest companies in Israel. You know, there's a lack of visibility for business people from the community. And so that's one thing. And we also run a survey. Last year's survey, we had over 900 respondents. We're about to publish in early 2022 our next survey of the status of the workplace. That will be in English, Hebrew and and in Arabic. And basically, we survey the community to sort of understand where things are on being out in the workplace, on what workplaces are providing to the community and so on. And then with that data, we're able to better serve the community by presenting that to governmental uh, organizations and also to companies themselves on ways they can improve. And then the third, which I think is probably the biggest focus, is the work we do with businesses themselves. So we have a range of things that we do with businesses. We work with them on their policies, their internal policies on LGBT plus diversity and inclusion. We run workshops and training sessions for them to help them to improve their positions on this. And obviously, we help encourage them to run events and to be more visible in their LGBT plus support, as I mentioned, for example, with the protests that were held in 2018. You asked me also specifically about the Merimot program. So Merimot is basically a program that we established last year to help provide mentoring to more junior or even student females from the LGBT plus community, you know, especially in tech and especially in the more technical parts of the tech industry. It's very, very male dominated. And so as well as the LGBT plus side of things, we wanted to give a focus to the female members of our community. And that's a mentorship program, basically, where we have more senior females from the industry uh, helping to mentor more junior female uh, members of the community. So I think that's kind of a broad overview. Maybe one last thing I would mention for an exciting development. I mentioned earlier that we're sort of moving away from only dealing with tech. 
We've literally just confirmed over the last few weeks in early 2022 that we will be getting funding from the Office for Social Equality, so a governmental department, uh, to fund DNI training for companies in the Jerusalem municipality area. So, you know, LGBT Tech, despite our name, we don't only work with tech companies. The Jerusalem ecosystem is very, very different from you know, the typical tech ecosystem that we hear about in Tel Aviv and the sort of more central part of the country. So we're really excited for this opportunity and for governmental backing to go into companies in Jerusalem that have a very different population base and maybe are not really focused on quite as much when talking about the tech scene or the ecosystem in Israel and, you know, talking about diversity and inclusion to make sure the LGBT plus community is also being focused there. That sounds amazing. And we look forward to hearing your progress. Do check in with us. We'd love to hear how that's going and, and how wonderful to have financial support, which, of course, as we know, that really kind of powers change as well. Now, but can I come to you? Very interesting listening to Jeremy talk about the Merrimont Foundation with regards to mentorship and support. And we've talked a little bit about the pipeline. You know, we were talking earlier about the academic journey right the way through to board level as well. Tell us more about female leadership in Israel and where you think there should be greater focus in supporting more women to very senior management and board positions? I'm a great believer in mentorship. So if I start with that, uh, dovetailing on what Jeremy just told us, one of the things I do believe in is not just mentorship as saying, well, come sit meet with me a few times and you know I'll give you some tips, but more than that, mentorship in the sense of having a champion to help push you along within your career, within your company, within to the next level. And while we have a lot of mentorship programs, I think there is still a ways to go when it comes to championing real career acceleration and moving into the higher levels of management. One of the programs that I personally volunteer in and I'm very fond of is a program that gives board level and well high-end executive and board level training to Arab and Jewish women here in Israel. It's a non-profit. I created a partnership with them with Director Stephen Jane. And my personal request there is if I am to mentor someone, I always work with someone from the Arab society because I feel that if we as Jewish women in Israel are at a disadvantage, Arab women in Israel are at a double or triple disadvantage. And again, on a personal level, it's something that I feel is important and enjoy doing. But I want to go back to the bigger picture and where we're trying to make a difference at the moment. The current status in Israel is that publicly traded company boards must only have one woman on the board to comply with the law. Or actually, the law says, one person of the opposite sex, but I have yet to see a publicly traded company with a board made up of four women and one man. It hasn't happened. So effectively, it's one woman. And because you also need two external directors, you also need someone with a financial background, then it always ends up being a woman who is an external director and has a financial background and can chair the audit committee. It's not enough. And one of the things that we have been trying to do is to push for legislation because there is ample data from around the world showing that the real change only happened when it was mandated by law. And there are three parts to that. One is a uh, legal requirement to appoint a certain number of women. I believe it should be 50%. I'm prepared to start with less and build our way up to 50%, but a legal requirement. 
The second is a reporting requirement, which doesn't exist in Israel at this point either. So there is, in fact, no way to know today in Israel because a lot of the names are unisex. So if you look at the lists of board members, companies traded on the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange, there is no way to know if they are men or women, if they have a unisex name. So you sort of have to pull through the list and hope that you know them. It doesn't make sense. We don't have a database either. So the second part is a reporting requirement. And the third part, of course, is regulatory enforcement. There are regulators, we have a regulator in Israel, the ISA, the Israel Securities Authority, as well as you do in every other country in the world. And it's very easy to enforce because there are so many other rules that apply to public companies. You have the regulation, all you need to do is create the legal framework. Now, the only country in the world that has managed to make a significant change in gender diversity on boards is the UK. The only one where the 30% club has been more than effective and, in fact, has surpassed 30%, as I'm sure you know. The UK, I think, is a special case because the UK is also one of the very few countries that doesn't have a constitution and yet upholds the values of what we would consider to be you know, a democratic constitution of a Western country. We are sadly not the UK, and we feel that the way to make a significant change in Israel is through legislation, but at the same time, we're very happy to see that the issue is being picked up by regulators like the Israel Securities Authorities, by heads of large companies who've begun to come out with statements about the importance of gender diversity. I feel that after a number of years of really banging at doors, we're finally beginning to be heard. And I'm optimistic that with all of these different things happening, we can make a change. And of course, the board level is just the beginning. It's an easy one to count because it's something that you can see and report on and you have a regulator. The trickier one is the C-suite. When you're looking at senior executives, that's not reported. That's very hard to regulate. You can't really tell a company who to appoint as their chief executive or uh, other senior executives. At the moment, the largest companies in Tel Aviv, we have an index called the Tel Aviv 125. There are three women CEOs. You know, embarrassing doesn't even begin to describe it. So we have a long ways to go on that. And I'll just mention as a small remark at the end that for the first time, the Israeli government has one-third women ministers. Only this current government, that's less than a year old. So I'm hoping that that's the beginning of a change and not a one-off. Parliament, the Knesset, less than 30%. So we're not there. Not anywhere near being there, but the issue is on the table. And I think the issue is very much on the table. It's been a fantastic discussion, actually, in terms of exploring it from the talent pipeline, the entrepreneurial point of view, the corporate governance, thinking about the regulatory point of view, and also from two different lenses, one being the LGBT plus community and also the ascension of women onto boards and right the way through senior management levels as well. I just wonder if I could ask you a final question, actually, if I may, which is we are navigating some interesting times and I worry that the conversation about diversity inclusion arguably could drop down the corporate agenda. It's wonderful to hear your remarks that actually there is a wind of change. I'm hanging on to that to be positive. But just give us your final remarks to see us out of the show about why you argue that diversity inclusion must remain high on the corporate agenda. And Jeremy, I'm coming to you first. 
Thank you very much for the question. I think at the end of the day, there's two answers to that. One, I think it's the right thing to do. I think from a social perspective, which is the S of ESG, it makes sense at the end of the day, as Nava said earlier, it just doesn't make sense to recruit from 50% of the population. It also doesn't make sense to offer your business or to recruit for your business from one type of person. And I think the more diverse you are, the better, better off you are. And I think ultimately at the end of the day, what that also comes down to is it's good for business. You know, there's tons of research on that from McKinsey, from the Harvard Business Review, from you know, lot, lots of organizations all around the world that come and prove time and time again that the bottom line is better off for a more diverse and inclusive company, society, etc. And I think that's kind of the most convincing argument as to why we should keep going. Maybe the last thing just to say is that specifically in these you know, transient times when so much is changing in the workplace, I think if anything, it's actually a time to be more focused on this because things are, are changing so much that it's a good time to focus on the people that you're not necessarily seeing in front of your eyes every day to avoid having an echo chamber. And if they are not compelling reasons, I don't know what are. Navo, I'm going to turn to you for our last closing remarks on the show. If you would give us your reasons why diversity and inclusion must remain high on the corporate agenda. Because Israel will survive as a tech powerhouse if it doesn't access its entire talent pool. It's really very simple. And in the case of Israel, it is a survival issue because we do not currently have enough people to keep our fantastic ecosystem going and growing moving forward. And if we are to try and do that, we need all the people we can get. There are a number of other parts of the population that are not currently well represented, but certainly women, 50% of the population, a very small percentage in the tech industry, LGBT plus and other parts of the population. So it's a survival issue. It's not even a nice to have issue. And the fact that it's now on the agenda is proof of that. And I'll tell you something, the Israel Innovation Authority, which is the government regulator and the government office that funds a lot of the early stage growth of the tech industry, has started producing an annual report on women in high tech, because they too have realized that if they don't access the entire talent pool in the population, they're not going to be able to survive. And we're not going to be able to continue to grow, because as it is, there's a big fight for the good talent. And... Uh, Yes, I think it's nice to have this. I think it's the right thing to do. But necessity is the mother of invention. So it needs to happen. I hope it will. And thank you so much for this opportunity. Well, it's a pleasure. I should thank you both for what a fantastic conversation. Rigorous, broad, deep in areas. So many more questions, so little time, which is deeply frustrating as a host. But I just want to take a moment to thank you both. Jeremy Seif, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was really great and a big honour for me to be involved. It's a pleasure. Another Sversky, so fair. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Julia. Thank you, Jeremy, for the uh, opportunity and uh, let's hope for the best. It's been great having you both on. And as always, I just want to take a moment to thank our listeners at Diversity Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the episode as much as I have, and we look forward to bringing you a new one very soon. Thanks for listening. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsania for her insights. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com. And that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. All our episodes are available in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app. If you enjoy Diversity Podcast, remember to share on social media and give us a rating or review. 
It really helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.